Hi, I'm George Borarki. Cityscape won't be heard this week, so we can bring you a special presentation of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, focused on healthy kids. The following is a panel discussion that was produced at the public access network BronxNet. Cityscape will return next week when our guest will be Ron Fassler, author of Up in the Cheap Seats, a historical memoir of Broadway. We'll see you then. Hello, my name is George Bodarki. I'm the news director of NPR affiliate station WFUV, located on the Rose Hill campus of Fordham University here in the Bronx. Each quarter, WFUV works to raise awareness of a particular issue through our Strike Accord campaign. Past campaigns have focused on everything from family caregivers to at-risk youth to veterans returning home. We're very pleased to be teaming up with BronxNet for our latest campaign focused on healthy kids. Studies show that healthy children get better grades, attend school more often, and behave better in class. But many kids face unique barriers to health. Here with me to discuss those challenges, as well as efforts to help kids lead healthier lifestyles, is a distinguished panel of experts. Dr. Peter Sherman is chair of the Department of Pediatrics at Bronx Lebanon Hospital Center. Dr. Sherman, hello. Dr. Jessica Reeder is founder and director of the Bronx Nutrition and Fitness Initiative for Teens, Be and Fit, weight management program. That's a joint venture between the Children's Hospital at Montefiore and the Monchalou Montefiore Community Center. Dr. Hello. Hello. And Bill Telepan, he's a chef at Oceana Restaurant in Manhattan and executive chef of Wellness in the Schools. Bill, hello to you. Hi, how you doing? Good. Dr. Sherman, let me start mm-hmm. with you. What would you say are among the biggest health challenges facing kids in the Bronx today? Now, it's interesting. When you ask doctors, you get one answer. When you ask parents, you get another answer. When I've talked to parents and actually did it on an organized way, <clears throat> they're concerned about education, the school system, and violence in the community and how it's affecting their kids. Um, as physicians, the top issues were obesity is obviously a very large issue. Um, mental health is getting a lot more attention to for both children and especially adolescents with concerns about depression. Um, and asthma, especially in the Bronx, is a, is a very, very big issue, too. So th- those are the top. And then, of course, we're both adolescent people here. Teen pregnancy is another largest issue that we've made some headway, but you know, still struggle to address in the community. How long have you been practicing in the Bronx now? Um, for almost 30 years. So have you noticed any particular changes or trends in those 30 years? Uh, yeah, absolutely. In, some of the trends have really been encouraging. Um, we, you know, the teen pregnancy rate has been coming down. Though, you know, when you look at Bronx statistics, it's always at the high end of not doing well, but the rate has come down. Um, The obesity rates have come down, but still in our community, it's still a huge challenge. It's not where we would like it to be. It's not, has not come down as far as other parts of the country. But, you know, we are still addressing issues of education, of, of violence, you know, working with the community where a lot of our parents come from other countries. Um, they're challenged by poverty. Um, you know, we're still facing a lot of the same challenges that we were facing when I began in this field. I was going to ask the question, how much does socioeconomic status impact a child's health? It has a huge impact. I mean, both from, if we look at studies, but also just from my practice. I mean, when you have parents that are really struggling um, to survive, to, to make ends meet, to get food in the house, to pay for an apartment, or they're living in a shelter, their attention to really, you know, being able to focus on their kids, and it takes a huge amount of time, you know, for the, uh, those of us who have raised kids, is difficult. The parents can be um, dealing with issues such as depression, anxiety, 
um, working long hours, hard hours, um, if they're dealing with sick kids. I've had parents lose their job because their kids had uncontrolled asthma and they were missing work. So, you know, it's, it's <coughs> parents are ha having issues of struggling and growing up in poverty. The kids have issues because of where their t parents' attention is taken. And then the kids are also having issues growing up in a, you know, in a system that doesn't always really effectively address what they need. How challenging is that for a doctor? Because here you are treating a child's health issues, yeah. but yet you have to, I would imagine, try to or maybe somehow refer a parent to get assistance for themselves so they can then help their kid. Absolutely. One, you know, one reason that I practice in the South Bronx and I've been committed is, you know, my viewpoint is that what a doctor does in terms of, it's not just writing a prescription. You're not going to address children's health with that or doing a little education. You really have to address the child's issues and the family issues. I saw a child yesterday, it was an amazing case. He was a seven-year-old. He was acting out in school. I'd known the parents actually for a long, long time. And I, and I know the parents were not getting along well. There was a lot of arguing. I, I asked him, what's going on? He, and he said, my parents are arguing. It's my fault. Mm. And then I had to really talk to the parents about, you know, your child needs to get some counseling services. You guys need to work on your issues. I'm not just focusing on, I'm focusing on a real adult issue to address the child. So I think that, you know, I could give you a lot of examples like that, but that's where an example, if you don't address what's going on with the parents, you're not going to be able to take care of the child. Dr. Reeder, what issues are you looking to address specifically here in the Bronx when it comes to adolescent health? So my specific focus is really on preventing obesity and a lot of its comorbid conditions that we see uh, associated with obesity, so diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, we see orthopedic issues, we see reproductive issues, uh, all sorts of medical issues. But really, my passion is really about teaching families and kids how to eat healthy, how to stay fit, and really build healthier, productive lives. That's really at the, at the end of the day what I'm really focused on. Enter the Be and Fit program. That's, that's the goal, is to, to really sort of address a lot of what Peter's talking about by working with families in a system that that really is supportive of families because you can't just isolate those medical issues. We, we don't function independently. We cannot do these, make these changes without working with a whole bunch of different people who, who have a similar interest, similar passion, but have different skill sets because we all, we all do different things. So what is the primary mission of the Be and Fit program specifically? What's your mission statement? So our mission statement really is that, that we help teens and families eat healthier, stay fit, and build healthier lives. And how do you do that? Through what kinds of programs? So what we do is we offer comprehensive medical health care. We offer that in a school setting uh, as well as at the Children's Hospital. And then we provide on-site um, after-school programming that really helps kids learn about healthy target behaviors. So we talk about the basics of, you know, the concrete things that kids need to learn to eat healthy and, 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 be, uh, and stay fit. So we talk about eating more vegetables, more fruit, cutting back on the sugary drinks, drinking more water, getting enough sleep, um, getting enough physical activity, eating out less, eating more often with your family, mm -hmm. and cutting back on some of the unhealthier foods. And we do that in a natural environment. So in the clinic setting, if, if the kids are able to come down to the clinic, we talk about it one-on-one -on -one with a medical provider. But then in the after-school setting, we've sort of integrated into an existing after-school program. 
and the kids get education uh, about healthy, uh, healthy lifestyles. They get the opportunity to cook healthy meals. They get the opportunity to have physical activity. Um, and they're doing that in a setting that they're familiar with and that's natural. And it's really focused on wellness. So it's, it's not a, it's, it really avoids the stigma of dealing with obesity, but really let's prevent prevent obesity and prevent some of these consequences. What do we know about the rate of obesity here in the Bronx among kids? Uh, the rate, uh, you know, nationally it's 17 percent in adolescents. Um, in, uh, I've seen over the years, um, we've seen rates of 40 to 50 percent of overweight and obesity. Uh, I recently uh, did a screening at the school that we're working at, PS95, and 45 percent of our kids are either overweight or obese. And Nine percent of those kids are severely obese. So, even though nationally the rates of obesity are decreasing, in our borough the rates of obesity and severe obesity are actually increasing. So, the higher end obesity ranges are actually increasing because those are more challenging to address. And to what would you attribute that increase? Why is it increasing here in this borough? What are the underlying problems? I think, uh, you know, uh, what Peter has alluded to is, is, the, is the poverty and, and the lack of access and, and really the challenges that these parents are facing. That, you know, there, there is unemployment, there is, you know, insecure housing, lack of access to healthy food. And, and really it's, it's a lot of these resources exist in our community, but the parents can't get to it because they have two or three kids at home, they don't have, you know, enough, you know, finances to be able to get to where they need to get to. There's so many things going on for a lot of our families. They're just overwhelmed. And so I think that that has a lot to do with it. Bill, you work mm -hmm. to help kids eat healthier. You yourself are a chef. Mm -hmm. You teach kids how to eat healthier, right? Sure, yeah. Well, with our program, we actually bring culinary school graduates into the school, school cafeteria to cook healthy meals. And we also bring fitness coaches to the recess yard to get kids active and prevent bullying. So the idea is that you have a healthy lunch, active recess, they're ready for the second half of the day, Will it ready to learn, all this energy. And we also do cooking classes, we call them, we take over a science lab four times a year, and so we do, we actually teach the food that we're cooking in the cafeteria. So it's like a marketing tool for us. So if the kid may be like, oh, I don't want to try that vegetarian chili, when they do go and make it, and they, you know, they take ownership of that, then they'll try it, and then they'll like it. And then, so we're providing that sort of, uh, you know, in this sort of, and the thing about school is that you have this captive audience. So it's, I, you know, hearing you guys talk, it's actually a great place to start is in the school. You have a kid for seven hours, eight hours, to sort of, you know, we're trying to change the culture of the school. We, we do it in a three-year program where we have a cook in the cafeteria uh, every day of the school, every day of the school year. Uh, the first year, second year, twice a week, uh, third year, once a week. And the idea is that you, the kids are, you know, cooking, they're learning nutrition classes, they're running around, they're learning, and then, um, so they, it's kind of like becomes a part of the culture of, of like, they want to know how to cook, they want to, um, they want to learn how to eat better, and you know we are we're f just we're doing it to fight obesity, you know. Just like you know, we want to get those obesity rates down and get these kids active and thinking like, hey, how important food is. Food can be medicine, you know. Food can heal um, if you're eating well. But in the air, certain areas, like where we work in a lot of schools in the Bronx, like you know, it's poverty. It's one parent at home. Um, you know, this is the best meal these kids might have is when they're at, at school. And so we believe that school is a, is a great place to sort of educate them. And we really need to, I believe, to have this as part of a, I don't want to say curriculum, but, you know, it's a life lesson that every, these 
kids are going to have to take. I mean, after you graduate high school, you're sort of left to your own, you know, own being. So, like, how do you cook? How do you, you know, how do you balance a checkbook? How do you, like, take care of yourself? These are, you know, you know the healthy um, uh, lifestyle is something we're trying to, to teach the kids. What inspired you as a chef to get involved <clears throat> in a program like this, Wellness in the Schools? Well, I felt like, you know, my daughter went, is a public school kid and uh and i went into the the schools even though we're on the upper west side where you know the poverty uh, level is low um you know and she she her dad was a chef so she was you know getting decent lunches but you would see some of the lunches that were being um served to the kids and you and and knowing the challenges that school like the D department of education does the food service for um for all the, s the schools um knowing the challenges they face i mean they're f feeding a million kids a day on a dollar so when I went into the cafeteria, I wanted to see, <clears throat> as a chef who has some skills, <laughs> how, you know, we can help them in sort of making, you know, healthier lunch. So it was just sort of seeing what was going on, um, meeting uh, the, the, the co-founder, Nancy Easton, who runs, uh, who um, is now the executive director of Wellness in the Schools in our, my daughter's school, and just sort of learning about the program and seeing how my skill set can help their, them out. And then from there, we were in three schools, and I just started cooking and, and getting to know the system and, and working with the DOE, and, um, and it just sort of went from there. Now we're in uh, over 100 schools nationwide. We're in New Jersey. Uh, we're going to be starting in uh, California next year doing uh, like a boot camp training classes. We worked the past year in South Florida and Broward County in Miami. Um, so we see that um, we, we, we're actually seeing like the, the changes in the kids. We've got one principal up in uh, Upper, upper uh, West Side, but in Manhattan. Um, he was telling us how he sees behavioral change. Kids are, uh, kids are getting less trouble, less visits to the principal office. Um, they're attending, like, you know, things we're talking about. They're attending classes more. They're, you know, they're alert. So they're, you know, and, they're, and he, he sees a good change in, in how, you know, a healthier lunch in this recess really works. Are you cooking foods from scratch while you're in these Some schools? of it, most, some of it, yes, we are. There's, um, you know, we have, there's challenges of feeding 500 kids in, in two hours when the, the school cooks are coming in. We're, we're going to be doing next year is this boot camp where we're going to actually teach them like mise en place, which is a word like how to get ready. So like prep, preparing the, say, vegetarian chili, chopping the vegetables Monday, cooking it Tuesday so it's ready on Wednesday. So things like that, cooking vegetables better, um, how to um, you know make a salad bar nicer and, and make salad uh, dressings from scratch instead of having a, a you know a gallon dressing with all these additives to it. It's about less processed food and and you know and getting healthier food to the kids. I would imagine that some schools aren't equipped with the infrastructure to cook from scratch, though. No, it's true, and that's why when I started working in this program, my daughter's school had uh, two convection ovens, a steamer, and one burner. So it was the least common denominator of any school. Like you walk into a school, it's like a hotel kitchen. It's so amazing. It's better than some of the kitchens I worked in. But, you know, you go into the thing knowing that, hey, uh, there's schools that are going to have just two uh, convection ovens here. How can we make, how can we make a, a tomato sauce in that? How can we, uh, you know, do a roast chicken in there? How can we steam some vegetables properly? It's all about, you know, it's all about just figuring out what you have and working with it. Dr. Reeder, how do you change a kid's attitude towards food to make them want to eat healthier, to inspire them to cook a healthier meal, not having that fast food hamburger? I think the, the approach that we have used is to socially engage the kids. Uh, if, if, if a kid is in an environment where they're having fun, uh, where there's a, 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 a cooking instructor who's enthusiastic and who wants to get them to try, we've had kids eating kale chips, we've had kids eating you know, all sorts of healthy vegetable-based meals, and it's because they've made it. 
yeah. and they've contributed to it. They've picked the herbs. You know, we've had, you know, we've done some um, work with growing gardens. And when you get kids involved and they start to see that, you know, this actually can be fun and it's social, which is what I've really learned through working uh, with the Marshall Montefiore Community Center is that we really want to engage kids socially so they connect with the youth leaders. And it's, it, it becomes kind of a cool thing as opposed to not a cool thing. And, and we, we're pitching the program as something that if you don't sign up soon, you're not going to get into it. And that's sort of the opposite of our past experience, where if you're, if you're hospital-based, uh, you know, kids kind of don't really want to tell their friends that they're going there. So if you, you, we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to make this not be s- stigma-based. And it has to be fun. It has to really you have to engage kids in a way that is very natural and normal to them. And that, that's challenging for medical people because we don't really know how to do that. So that's why we have to draw on, you know, people with that expertise. And, you know, we are working with wellness in the schools. You know, we've worked together because they know how to, they know how to do this. This is, is something that they, they're very comfortable with. They make it fun. We had a family night uh, at the end of March mm. and, we wanted. We did Be and Fit tacos. Um, Chef Marion made um, uh, with the kids. You know, we did some um, yogurt parfaits. We had the parents there. The parents were serving, and it was it was great. And one of the one of the students got up and did the food demonstration, mm-hmm. and he took that initiative because he felt confident enough because he had had some exposure and some experience. And it was fun, and everybody was so impressed, and everybody had a great time. I would imagine you're also hoping these kids will take that experience home. Yes. And show their parents. Yes. We have one young man who's been cooking breakfast at home for his parents. And I've had, in the past, in, 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 in our program at the hospital, I've had one young man who, um, you know, he started, he came in the program, then his sister came, and his younger brother now doesn't need to come. Um, but he was on his way to needing to come. But, you know, he really influenced the oldest brother, really influenced the entire family. And that's, for me, I don't really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the parents. A lot of times it's the teenagers who, you know, will hold their parents accountable and will, will show them, hey, let's do something different. I think it's, it's really positive, and I think they can have an uh, impact. Dr. Sherman, sometimes we hear parents, busy parents, parents dealing with kids who are misbehaving, be good and I'll get you some ice cream. (laughs) Is that damaging? I mean, to reward kids with sweets? It actually goes beyond that. The the rewarding with sweets is like level two. The level one we see is the kids, their attention being taken um, with, you know, a bag of chips, you know, soda, um, sugar drinks, something to keep, you know, while the parents are very, very busy keep them busy. So it's not this kind of rewarding. It's almost this continuous feeding of kind of really poor quality food. And, mm-hmm. you know, then it, it's interesting because the kid will come in overweight and the parent says, I don't know why my child's overweight. He doesn't eat that much. And the kid will have a bag of chips, trailing chips, you know, down, down the hallway. Mm-hmm. So um, that's more of a concern than the actual kind of reward here, here and there, too. I also want to go back to a question you had asked me before about mm-hmm. our approach to health. And I think the things we're talking about, the, our approach to healthcare is really changing. I think those of us who have worked in the community for a long time have understood this for a long time, but it's not about addressing healthcare only in the clinic setting in the hospital. That's the end point, especially in the hospital. Once a kid comes into the hospital's rear event, that child is very, very sick. It's moving the issues into the community, 
using community resources, working with the community to, so going beyond what I say, the, the physician has to come out from behind the exam, exam table and do this kind of work and partner with people in the community. We're saying, you know, when we look at these big picture issues such as obesity and asthma, we're finding out we cannot address it in the traditional way. So for example, um, with our asthma pro program, we do a lot of home visits and we go into houses and we found, find the living conditions horrendous, um, ceilings caving in, full of mold, you know, and I've had patients who I've worried they're going to die from the asthma. We've had families where we've actually had to move into a shelter system, which is not really an answer, but uh, you know, we, but as physicians, we would not have known that unless we had community health workers to go out in the community and go into the homes and really kind of interact in that fashion. So this is kind of the paradigm is really, really shifting in how we treat healthcare, and, we're, and we find that these programs are effective. We find these obesity programs are, are effective, have an impact. We find these asthma programs that shift in the community are, are, do work, and that to me is incredibly exciting too. And I would imagine also helping people to realize that they're not alone. People actually care because I yes. think sometimes people think that no one cares that might contribute to their health problems. Right, and you know, and not, yes. a clinic setting is really busy. You have a couple minutes with a physician, have a community health worker who can go out and really take a half hour to educate a parent or a kid about use of their medication. And then they'll go, oh, now I get it. You know, that's, it's, it's fantastic. Dr. Reed, do you want to add on to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you connect with your patients and your patients really feel that you're listening and you've heard them and you understand them, you know, the more a kid feels understood, the more they feel they have some choices, um, the more they feel they have some autonomy, especially as they get older, for, you know, as adolescents get older, they, they will respond to that. And I, I, I strongly believe that we should really put much more power into the hands of our patients because they have the capacity. We just have to help them to understand that they just need to understand that and believe it and ask for the help. And there are people that want to help them and support them. I, I, for the parents and, and the kids, I often have that conversation. And you'll see the change when people realize, yeah, I can, I can actually do these things. And it actually can be fun, and it's okay, and I feel better. I feel a lot better. Bill, what has surprised you most since starting to work with wellness in the schools? Why, kids, I mean, how, what, you know, that they'll eat lettuce and salad, that they'll, they have this great capacity to learn and, and want to sort of learn and, and have fun with it. And I think, you know, the, one of the coolest things I saw was that we were, it was a school that we were in for three years, and one of our, our cooks was teaching a lab on uh, salad dressings and talking about olive oil, and she asked, you know, can anyone tell me the benefits of olive oil? And every kid raised their hand at this, you know, Lower East Side school, and and it just hit me. It was just like, this is what it's about. It's about like education and, and having it there every day um, and, and, and in this school setting where these kids are just able to learn and, and, and talk about it and, and feel comfortable about it. Like it's, I think cooking's cool. So, I mean, I've been doing yes. it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, but that's like, the catchphrase. Exactly. Yeah, cooking, cooking is cool. cool. <laughs> and I go like this. <laughs> but, I mean, I think they, they see that, like, what food, how fun food can be and how it's good to, you know, think about being healthy. And, and, um, and that's, that's what's been great, the kids. How much has technology become our enemy when it comes to children's health? Because I see a lot of kids... <laughs> with cell phones in hands, <laughs> with their video games, and they're not out there 
on the ball field. Well, the obesity levels have gone up since Pong was invented. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> since Pong, specifically? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a scientific study? But it study? sort of accelerated when uh, Atari and all that yeah. other kicked in. <laughs> but they're not running around as much. And yeah. I think, and, and, but also, like in schools, they don't really have a, op, you know, gym classes once a week now, maybe. Um, you have a 20-minute recess that you're rushed around. I mean, and that's why we're, we're not only teaching it in the recess yard, but we're also doing these, like kids, like in, if it's 10 o'clock, 10.30 in the morning, they've been in school, Eight o'clock, and they're not eating for, and they're kind of getting like this. You want to stand them up and yeah. get them going for another five minutes, and just to revive them. You know, maybe one time during the, the uh, morning and one time in the afternoon. Uh, exercise. I mean, getting them moving. Yes, it's mm -hmm. it's very important. And technology probably sitting there like this is, you know. I find myself sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah I, I often, if I'm in, in, in a, an appointment with a pa patient and a parent, and the parent's on the phone, I'll say, excuse me. You know, you're, you're, you're modeling, and the, and the kids do follow, <coughs> and they, they don't really always listen to what we're saying, but it, it's what we're doing. And I think technology is a tool, and it's a good tool, but I think anything we do, it, if we do too much, it's, it's not that good for us. I, I think in the school setting, I think it's great for the kids. They need education. They need to eat healthy. They need to get enough sleep. They need to move around. You know, it's difficult with all the requirements for them to get enough physical activity during the school day, so we provide it after school you know, to increase their physical. We try to do at least five hours a week, so they're getting that hour, hour a day. Um, and if you're you know, if, if, if there's nothing else going on, kids will occupy themselves, and they'll occupy themselves with the phone. But if you can redirect them and you give them something that's more engaging and interesting, it, they won't use it. So rather than say, don't use the phone, try to provide something that's a little more engaging, and, and you'll redirect the kids. So I think a lot of what our responsibility is, the adults, you know, we just need to do that redirecting. But there's also another issue um, providing care in a community that's, that's poor. You ask the parents, you know, why do you take your kid to the park? I mean, I don't ask anymore because I, I know and they'll look at you like you're crazy. They'll say the park isn't safe. There's drug dealers, there are gangs. Well, there's just a young kid who was shot as an innocent bystander mm -hmm. a couple days mm -hmm. ago in, in our neighborhood. So parents don't really have alternatives for their kids. There are actually alternatives in the Bronx. There's, there's um, several PALs, Police Athletic League, Boys and Girls Club. There is our settlement house has a beautiful new gym. Alvin Ely comes and provides classes, and you know, I'll, <coughs> as part of the care, I'll, I'll get on the internet and show the parents. Look, this is the settlement house a couple blocks from you, and their eyes light up. Yeah. Like, I didn't know about that. They get really excited. You print out the information, and then you help them connect with those resources. We only have a couple of minutes left, so mm -hmm. I just want to go down the line and get your top piece or uh, one or two pieces of advice for a parent of a child. This is how you can best incorporate a healthier lifestyle into your home. You know, might be a single mom or dad listening to us right now, watching us right now, who is struggling uh, with that, um, struggling with economic issues. The people that you have uh, talked about, what's your advice to them, Dr. Sherman? Uh, um, you know, a couple things. One, in terms of like the real the big issues, and obesity is a big issue, and education is a big issue at, at this point. So I, I have to talk to my parents about education and really being proactive with their kids in the school system, a system that may or may not be that responsive depending on, upon the school. So we actually spend a lot of time on addressing issues like that too. And to, you know, you have to empower parents to take a stand and get out to the school and speak with the teacher and so I'm interested in what's going on with my kid. So that's number one. Obviously, the big issue is obesity. We've talked about that a lot today, too. <laughs> two things, sugary beverages. I try to keep it simple. Sugary beverages and exercise. 
you know, trying, because sometimes if you try, you know, to get the family to bring down everything at once in terms of healthy eating, it's just too overwhelming. And then the other issue is really a family issue. You can't have the kid on a healthy diet and the parent bringing soda and chips and the stuff that they're eating, it, it has to be addressed. And then the exercising, you have to connect um, parents with an, a regular program where their kids can exercise. The school is not adequate. Some schools have gym a couple times a week. Most it's one time a week. There are some schools that have no gym at all. So those okay. are kind of the issues I... Going to have to wrap things up. So okay. one piece of advice, Dr. Reader. I think uh, stay active, cut back on the sugary drinks, and, and do this together as a family because whatever is good for your child is going to be good for you too. And Bill, last word. I just said do it together as a family and, and you know, maybe uh, baby steps with this stuff and get out and take a walk. Very good. <laughs> all good advice. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for this special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet focusing on healthy kids. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Peter Sherman, Dr. Jessica Reeder, and Bill Telepan. Thank you all so very much. Thank you. Thank if you. you'd like to find out more information about the work these fine folks are doing or to simply find out more about WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, visit WFUV.org slash Strike Accord. I'm George Boraki. Thanks so much for being with us. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.